On today's Roadman Cycling Podcast, I chat with Larry Hagner. Let's cue that intro. The big question is this, how do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health, our happiness, and our longevity? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Anthony Walsh, and welcome to the Roadman Podcast. Roadman, welcome back to another Roadman Cycling Podcast. It's Tuesday, it's another interview day. Today I'm chatting with Larry Hagner and it is a super fun and interesting chat. Larry is the host of one of my favorite podcasts called the Dad Edge Podcast. He is also the CEO of the Dad Edge and the founder of the Dad Edge Alliance. Larry, in a lot of ways, is the answer to a question that we've been posing on this podcast for a long time. It's how do we balance training around work, family, and social life? Larry devoted his life and continues to to devote his life to answering that question and to figure out how to have meaningful engagements with your family, with your children, while also pursuing and trying to master both physical and spiritual health. I have a wide-ranging chat with Larry where we talk everything from the discipline of morning routines in the environment of the family, which is, you know, different to anything I've talked about on the podcast before, prioritizing and filling your own cup first and making sure to carve out that training time. It's a fascinating chat and I think you're going to love it today. Before I jump into the Roadman podcast for today... I'm going to introduce something called the iTunes Review of the Week. And I actually got this idea from Larry's podcast, and I just thought it's such a brilliant idea. Once a week, Larry reads out an iTunes review that was super meaningful to him for the week. So I'm going to start doing that each Friday. I'm going to read out an iTunes review. So please head on over to iTunes, leave your review. I'm going to pick one of them, and I'm going to read it out on the podcast on Friday. I had so much feedback about the podcast with Sarah on Friday that it's baffling the most like when i think of the guests we've had on this podcast folks that that hardship the toil and torment i went to bring you those guests and the podcast that i get the best feedback on it's the one with my girlfriend sarah uh, it was great fun honestly we broke our hearts laughing at it and i'm glad you guys really enjoyed it and uh, some of the feedback or a common trend of the feedback was that it's just a very light-hearted way to start the weekend so i think for the next few weeks we're going to test that out in the friday slot and keep it as that light-hearted way to start the weekend so our week starting to have a little bit of structure with the interview on tuesday interview thursday to chat with sarah on a friday and then our solo casts filling in the other days which is brilliant Shout out to all the Patreons who are making all this possible, who are making the expansion of the podcast possible. We just launched a new Roadman Cycling website, so you can head on over to roadmancycling.com and you can check it out. It's pretty sweet. Again, thank you to all the Patreons who continue to support the growth and progress of the podcast and the cycling coaching company. My, I tip my cap to you. If you're not currently a Patreon and you would like to start supporting the podcast, support us in our fight against the big brands for that independent creator to have a voice the way you can do that it's over on patreon.com forward slash anthony underscore walsh and you can contribute to the beer fund which sarah is now looking for a piece of that's a story for another day roadman buckle your seatbelts. it is time to chat with larry hagner from the dad edge what's going on my man how are you I'm good, Larry. I'm good. You're you're killing it. You got the cool looking set in the background for anyone who's watching this on video. Larry's balling it outrageous. 
Thanks, man. It's, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, everyone thinks like this is like a virtual background. Uh, it's, it's not, uh, my wife, like I, before I was doing data edge full time, we moved into this house three years ago. I mean, I'm a terrible decorator. So like, you know, I, it was, it was awful. Like there was no branding or swag or anything like that. My wife has this really good knack and talent of being able to decorate. And at the time, my full-time job kept me traveling quite a bit, even though I was podcasting and stuff like that on the side. And I came home after being on a work trip and my entire office was gutted. The old furniture was out, the nasty brown, like really like drab, like something you'd see in a principal's office, the white walls with like one photo on the wall, like type thing. And like, literally she had everything swagged out the furniture, the walls, like, so this back wall is the same as this front wall, even though you can't see it and got lights and all these photos and everything she did. And there's all kinds of stuff over here on this wall. Like she's just amazing. It's cool. The I'm not sure if you're having this experience with your podcast, but I have a bunch of podcasts that I listen to. And now it's so cool chatting to all the people whose podcasts I listen to. Because up to now, I've been having like a one-way conversation with you where I'm sitting in the sauna and the data edge is getting beamed into me. And even though I actually <laughs> don't have a kid, I'm just like, it's such a similar journey than the journey that I'm trying to tread. And a lot of our users are trying to, or users, a lot of our listeners are trying to navigate where we're trying to balance work, family, life, excelling in you know many different feats and also balancing sport around that and it's so i suppose my question on that is like what inspired you to take this fight up what inspired you to inspire others i wish i could tell you it came out of like this beautiful epiphany like i joke about this sometimes i'm like yeah i woke up one day on a sunday morning 10 years ago the sun was shining the windows were open i looked outside and i just had this beautiful epiphany of you know what it meant to be a good father and husband and i thought to myself i can't keep this to myself i must share it with the world and that is total crap. Uh, in fact, it, it just came out of absolute struggle, man. Um, dad Edge, at the time, Good Dad Project was actually birthed out of the fact that I, I hit my four-year-old kid and I, I spanked him. I didn't hit, like, hit him in the face or anything like that, but I spanked him for stepping out of line. And just as any four-year-old would, and I spanked him and I always made this oath to myself you know, that I would never put my hands on my kids, you know, in a, in a bout of rage. And, you know, I, uh, I was hit a lot growing up. I, I lived in fear a lot, you know, just my, my mom was an alcoholic. Um, she had anger issues. She wouldn't hesitate to hit me. And, you know, she was married three times and dated several men and every guy was the same guy, just different face, different name, just very toxic, alcoholic. I, I can't confirm nor deny if there were drugs, but it was freaking crazy, man. And I just remember being fearful at all times. A lot of times when my mom was sober, like things were good, but that, you know, the, the older I got, the less she was sober. And, um, I was just like, man, like on my watch, this is not going to happen. Being a good father is super important to me. I only want to be married one time. I know what it's like come from a broken home. And what I could tell you, man, I, I just struggled with it, struggled with it so bad. It's almost the best way I can describe it is this. Um, you know, if you want to be a carpenter, right you know, you have to go to a trade school to learn that skill. Right. And the last thing you do is show up to a construction site and not having any type of training whatsoever, any type of skill set. And the foreman says, Hey, I need you to go over there and frame up that wall. And then he hands you over a list of, and here's 25 ways not to do it. 
go figure out the rest. <laughs> and that's, that's literally the way it felt because I, I knew all these things of what not to do. And I learned really quickly, or like another thing I think guys can relate to, you know, you head on over to Lowe's or Home Depot or whatever home improvement hardware store, you buy that, that grill that you've been wanting, get it out of the box. The instruction manual basically has a list of here's 100 ways not to put this thing together, figure out the rest. And that's like, you know, we laugh at that, right? We totally laugh at that. But if you really think about how society is set up, that's exactly how society is set up with marriage and parenting. Like, even when you p- tell people like, oh, it's like, they're like, oh, dude, you'll figure it out. Best time of your whole life. Like what? That, that gives us no strategy. But isn't it funny how we all have uh, an edge? We all have a line that when we cross that, it's like a hard stop. Like for you, it was hitting your child. So you had a vision of the sort of father you wanted to be. And I'm sure you were, there was a lot of gray areas that you're like, okay, this isn't cool, but it's not across the line that I've set for myself in the sand. And once you cross that line, then it's like, it has to be hard action. I know for me, my dad suffered like his whole life. He lost his toe in an accident. I'm going to say in his forties. And as a result of that, he put on like massive amounts of weight. He lost his toe, you said, right? Yeah. He had a a forklifting accident and it chopped his big toe, like clean off. And he used to be very athletic and sporty until then. And, you know, a combination of we weren't very good about talking about mental health problems then. So I'm sure he went through bouts of depression. And as a result of the physical injury and the depression, he put on a lot of weight. And so I grew up as a large part of my life, seeing the limitations to carrying extra weight brings. So when I got into being a professional cyclist, sure, I had these dreams of, you know, winning bike races and racing my bike in the Alps and the Tour de France, like any cyclist does. But really for me, what it was is I had a vision that I was never going to let weight or obesity limit my lifestyle choices. And I remember having this, you know, just hard line in the sand where, I was coming home from a bike race. I'd neglected my health for a couple of years, but I'd head in the sand and I got to a point where I performed so badly and I was coming home from the bike race. I wasn't just close to quitting cycling that day. I was close to completely losing the vision I had for my life. So on the back of that, the following day, I sold like four or five companies or started the wheels in motion to sell four or five companies that I spent the last five years setting up. And I took a total break on life. And I went like traveling for like 18 months to figure out, okay, what is my next move here? Because the shit I've done up to this point, it, it's not bringing me happiness. And I'm losing the vision I have for myself. Mm. But both of us had that hard reset, like a line that we said, we won't cross that. Once we cross that, that's where we mount the defense. But it's, it's interesting that so many people, you know, you and me included, we tolerate so much up to that point that we decide to dig our heels in. There's so much bad yep. stuff that goes on before that. Like the hitting the kid is the eventual end point, but I'm sure like the quality of your relationships, how present you were with your wife and child up to that were probably in a state of neglect also. Yeah. I mean, we, the best way I could describe it is, and this sounds really weird and odd, but the best way I can describe it is that I knew that I really wasn't at, at the core of who I was. Um, I knew I wasn't ready for fatherhood. I knew that I wasn't being the best husband. And <laughs> I didn't know this then, but I know it now that, you know, if, if I don't get too close to these kids and if I don't get too close to my wife, I can't screw it up that bad. I mean, I, how crazy and weird does that sound? Right. 
I thought to myself, man, if I go all in and then fail, well, then what? Right. But if I kind of do it from out here, I can't screw things up too bad. That was about the best way. And what I can tell you is that perception was not serving me at all. It, it was more of a protective mechanism, to be honest. Um, so that's that was my perception back then. So I know following your story from afar, how important physical health and carving out that time for training, whether it's resistance training or cardiovascular training, I know how important that is for you. So many of our listeners struggle with the same struggles that you have, and it seems like you have found strategies and systems to overcome them. So I wonder if you could share with our listeners and me some of the strategies that you've used to 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 create like a space where you, you can train all the time and it's not an afterthought. Yeah. I mean, so training has always been super important to me. Um, it's been my therapy for a lot of reasons. Like I grew up as a fat kid, which that sucks. You know, it really sucks when you grow up as a fat kid because then you're, you're, I, you know, targeted to be bullied, which I was, that's really sucked. And um, I, I never viewed myself. In fact, even as a kid, like I always viewed myself as, well, I'm going to just be a fat adult. You know, I didn't really take the time. I viewed myself as lazy. I viewed myself as unathletic, uncoordinated, sloppy. And there was one relationship that my mom had from the time that I was 15 to 17. This guy lived with us along with his son. And it was by far the most nightmare, crazy experience two years of my life because that guy was probably one of the most toxic, crazy, raging alcoholics that um, that my my mom ever was with. And his son was like this degenerate, like <laughs> basically criminal, right? I mean, dude, I had things happen to me in that two years that I, I, I had a knife held to my throat once by by this guy's son. I had a gun pointed to my head. I don't know if it was loaded. I don't know if he was screwing around or whatever, but like it was crazy shit, man. And that guy, you know, I had this thing happen to me when I was 15 years old. Never, I'll never forget it. It kind of imprinted me. And it was when I kind of drew a line in the sand, kind of like with dad edge when I spanked my son, I was at this mixer. It was a dance that my high school was having where like basically all, all kinds of, didn't matter what school you went to, you could show up and you know, you could, you know, people from all over, all over different schools and it was fun. And I had my eye on this girl forever, like for, forever, meaning like that night. And I was like, man, I just want to go up and ask this girl to dance. And then like the last three songs that they play at these mixers, right. They're always the slow songs. So I'm like, I'm going to go up and ask this girl to dance. And it took every bit of courage that I possibly could muster to go up to her. She was beautiful. And I knew like I was hideous kind of, and I finally just went up to her and I was like, what do I have to lose? And I go up to her and I was like, Hey, would you like to dance? And she literally did this. She was like, looked me up and down twice with absolute disgust. And she's like, not a chance. And I was like, <laughs> so I came home that night. I was very defeated, very deflated, sat down on the couch and my mom's boyfriend who was living with us, this guy at the time, he's like, what happened? What, what's Are you all right? And I'm like, no. And he's like, well, what happened? And I told him, and to add insult to injury, he goes, uh-huh. He's like, okay. And this guy was actually a former bodybuilder, natural bodybuilder. So he was, he was in great shape, but you could tell he used to be in great shape. And he goes, so I have one question for you. Are you tired of being a fat ass yet? And I'm like, wow, that's really blunt. Like, uh, thanks. Like, 
for making my night way worse. Right. <laughs> and I don't know what it is that, that was in me, but that was, that was it. And I just looked at him and I was like, you know what? Yeah, I am. I am. He's like, well, are you ready to do something about it? I'm like, yeah, I am. He's like, great. We start tomorrow. And he woke me up every morning at four 30, made me work out. He had a, he had brought like his gym equipment that was in our garage that I'd never used. And we woke up every morning at four 30 before school and he trained me and over six months, I lost about 50 pounds. So there's a, this show over here that I was thinking about as you were talking there, it's called father Ted. So the premise is the main character is a priest and he's had a shitty life, but he wins this, you know, fictitious award many years from the, when he has the shitty life and it's called the golden cleric. And he gets up and he gives the least gracious acceptance speech ever. I feel like you need a podcast episode like this where he names and shames everyone who was mean to him as a child. And he's like, well, look at me accepting an award and look at you unemployed. Look at you fat. Look at you an alcoholic. And here I am accepting this award. I feel like you need a name and shame podcast and say, oh yeah, look at the cool brand I've built. Look at the shape I'm in. That's right. <laughs> now, now, name her and shame her in your next episode. I'm chatting all the time about morning routines and I love morning routines. It's one of the pillars that I really try and because our clients are coming in and they're so busy, you know, they're, they're balancing a hundred things at once and their day is so chaotic. Once the day starts, it can go in any different direction. So I'm saying to them, control the first 60 minutes of your day. And we're talking stuff like for some of them, it's photobiomodulation with units like juve, it's cold therapies, it's grounding, gratitude, you know, maybe it's meditation, the difference for different clients. But one criticism of the morning routine that I get is, Anthony, all that stuff is easy for you because you don't have kids. Try and get a morning routine and try and give that shape to your day when you have kids. Do you use morning routines? How important are they? And what challenges do kids pose to that? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting that we're talking in this sort of season right now. If you look at my life over the past three years, up until January of 2022, I had the same morning routine. I was up at 4.05 AM every single morning during the week. Saturdays, I'd give myself some grace, like recover with a little bit of sleep. Um, but, and Sundays too, but Monday through Friday, it was 4.05 AM picking up my workout partner in the morning at 4.30 AM, uh, in the gym by 4.45 AM back home, uh, by 6.30 and then was taking my, my kids to school, my, my oldest son to school, um, or hang, and then hang out with my little ones. Uh, I'd also do, you know, I'm, I'm doing, uh, I would do some sort of Bible study, you know, during the day, even if it was only for two minutes, you know, in the, I'm, during the day, during the morning, even if it was only for two minutes, um, I would, I would do some journaling sometimes, even if it was only for two minutes, uh, just something to get my mind going. Now I will say this ever since January 1st of 2022, that's changed a little bit. Uh, meaning, so I no longer work out with the workout partner that I was working with still obviously really good friends, but my routine has changed because my 14 year old got really, really brave and decided like, I want to do a bodybuilding show this year. And I, and I used to do these. I did over the course of from 1995 to 2011, I did 12 shows. And then I had a big break between shows uh, from 2003 to 2011. So it took like eight years off. And then uh, just kind of got this itch to do another one. And then after I did that one, I was like, oh my God, I remember how hard these are. I'm never doing them again. And uh, so my, 
my 14 year old, this was like last June we're on vacation and he's, he's pretty naturally muscular anyway. He's pretty lean. And he, he, uh, we were, we were on vacation and he told me, he was like, Hey, he goes, I've been thinking about something. He goes, I think I really, really want to do a bodybuilding show next year. And I was like, at 14 years old, he's like, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I remember seeing yours and I, I think it's really, and he loves fitness, like loves, loves fitness. And, you know, so I was like, dude, I was like, I don't even think they have, like, I don't even think you can enter one of these shows. Yeah, I was about to say, like, they even have them at 14 years yeah. old. I was America's like, dude, fucked I, up. you got sort of all sorts of weird shit over there. I know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I told him, I was like, when I competed, man, I don't think you could be younger than 17. I was like, I remember like when I did the teenage bracket for my very first show, like there was a guy in my bracket that was 17. I, I, no one younger. I've never seen anybody younger in the shows. And he's like, Google it. That's just the way my 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 14 year old is and i googled it and i was like bodybuilding shows missouri 2022 yeah teenage bracket four shows in the in this year alone that allow kids 13 to 19 that's a bracket and i was like holy crap i was like mason i was like they actually have a bracket for you and he's like awesome we should do it and then that's where the conversation really ended and then it was uh, New Year's Eve, which we do the same routine every single year. It's my son's same same kid. It's his birthday on the first. So we've done this thing where we have kids over and friends over and couples over. And then my 14-year-old, you know, he, he, or whatever age he's turning, he blows out his first candle at midnight when the like when the you know when the clock strikes midnight. So and I said, All right, Mason, like what what big things are you gonna be doing this year? What, what's gonna bring you to life? What big challenges are you gonna do? Like what we have these conversations among our family. Like what, what's, what are we, how are we going to make this year big? And he looked at me and he goes, I want to do that show on April 30th. So now we're like four months away from this thing. And I'm like, you do. He hadn't talked about it since. And he's like, yeah. And he goes, and I want you to do it with me. And I want us to work out together. And I'm like, I was like, dude, I wish I would have known that. I was like, I've totally like, I have my diet's gone off the rails ever since Thanksgiving. I'm definitely heavier than I've been in a while. And I was like, and how do you say no to that? I'm like, and is the space you're working in, is it reactive around his schedule and your schedule? Like, is it like, oh, tomorrow we work out at 2.30 or is it like nailed in like your old routine? Nailed, nailed in. So I don't do the morning routine as much as I used to. So now I work out with him when he gets off school. So he gets off school You know, we train for four or five days a week. Um, yeah, he's 14. So his body's still growing. So it's not like we're deadlifting, like, you know, 325 or anything like that for him. It's more like, you know, lightweight. Um, he's got good genetics anyway. He didn't get him for me, but good genetics and a good foundation. So we've been training in the afternoons, but one thing I've done here recently is I allow myself a little bit more sleep. So I'm, I'm getting up around, uh, 5:30 now, and I'm taking my oldest son, through an in-depth online mentorship Bible study called Operation Timothy. We do that for 30 minutes now every morning. And that, that has been phenomenal. So a cup of coffee and he's got his breakfast and we sit down with our computers and we, we go through this mentorship and I'm guiding him through it. And that is a beautiful thing. And then I, after he leaves, I, I run for 30 minutes, get my cardio in and I, I do some journaling, but that's my morning routine now. So you were talking about one of your kids saying, Google it. And this seems like a, a, not even a common trend with kids, just a, a new trend in society. And it's a very, I know it can be a great tool, but it's also something that has us increasingly distracted and such a time suck from our productivity, from our creativity, from our inner genius. How are you segmenting off and, you know, 
ensuring that you're at the highest levels of excellence in your training, in your work, building your brand with your relationship and not getting sucked into the kind of social media trap. Do you have hard rules around social media usage? I do. So I, I operate very well within structure and what I call containers of time. So like I have everything locked in in my calendar, like everything from this podcast recording to exactly what I'm going to be doing 30 minutes after this, the next 30 minutes after that, I've got another podcast I'm going to be doing an hour after that. And I have even in my calendar, it's, Hey, from this time to this time, I train with my son, you know, and from this time to this time. Yeah. And from this time to this time, I'm, I'm at wrestling practice with my other two. And, and I even have in there, like for, for this 20 minutes, I'm doing nothing but social media, commenting on posts, doing my own posts, like that kind of thing. Um, and that's been very, very helpful because it, it keeps me from getting distracted. Like I'll give you one quick example. I'm putting together right now a quick 30 minute video to like course on, on creating intimacy through what we call intimate conversation starters. And I'm doing that for like this huge, like online summit that we have that, that a, a, another podcaster has and it's out there, right? I know I need to do it, but in, instead of like scrambling, be like, Oh, I, I need to get this done today. And like my to-do list and like, I have it scheduled for not this Friday, but even next Friday from 11 to 12, that's what I'm doing. So it's like, I literally work with, I take my to-do list and I pop it into my calendar of when I'm doing it. It's, I love that idea of having the workout with your shelf self scheduled because it becomes like the most important meeting of the day. It's the one you can't skip. Uh, before I started doing that, my training was an afterthought that I'd get you know, podcast requests and then I'd be like, oh shit, I've left no time to train. But now someone will ask me to come on their show and I'll look at them and be like, can't have a meeting at 1 p.m. that I can't move. And that meeting's with myself. And keeping that promise to yourself, I actually had a podcast that I released last week and it was this idea of how do we build willpower. And one of the, the key areas I really focused on was keeping promises whether it's keeping promises to other people, like I will meet you for that coffee or I'll call you on Friday or keeping the promise to yourself. Like I promise I will train every day this week. I promise I won't, you know, uh, succumb to mouth pleasure and just start eating random shit that doesn't align with my goals. But once we start keeping those promises to ourselves, and we do it long enough, it just creates this momentum that it's easier to just keep promises than to break promises. I agree. I mean, if you get in that rut where you're constantly like right now, you know, bless my wife's heart. She's a, she's an amazing woman. She's the most giving woman, the most selfless woman. And she's been in this sort of um, battle, like with her fitness for the past two years, she unfortunately went on this diet that incredibly restricted her calories. And what, of course, what happens over time is the metabolism is going to rebound and be like, well, okay, so now you've starved me. So I'm going to hold on to every bit of weight that I possibly can. And now my wife has been doing a reverse diet, you know, for the past eight months and trying to get her metabolism firing again. It's, it's working, but she's, she's also, you know, if something comes up, she'll sacrifice her own self-care and gym time and that kind of thing for the sake of like, Oh, I just want to go get this project done or go do this thing. Or I got this phone call to make, or my one of my kids is pulling me into this. So one of the things that we're doing right now is I'm like, listen, you, you've got to take care of you. Like that's got to be such a priority because it's so, it's, it's so much linked to your happiness and fulfillment. So what we, she and I are doing right now is we're, we're meeting. We do this anyway, but meeting every Sunday, I'm like, okay, when, what days do you have your self-care scheduled to where if you need my help or support, whether it's grabbing the kids, whether it's doing this or doing that, or what can I take off your plate so we can open up an hour for you? Uh, whatever that looks like that way, 
we're scheduling that in for her because she's very sacrificial as well when it comes to like, oh, well, I, I can take care of me later. And what that does is, and you know this, right? Over time, that everybody hurts because of that. You know, my, my wife's happiness takes a beating, which the rest of us take a beating for that. And then, you know, when all the while it could be just communication and teamwork and making sure that exactly what you said, like, Hey, the promise that I kept to myself is that I'm going to train from 1215 to one today. And the problem and with this is it gets hard to dig out of that hole. You know, when you get like, when you neglect, neglect your health to a point that now all of a sudden you have high blood pressure. Now you get to a point where, you know, you've put on so much weight that you actually can't jog five kilometers because, you know, it's just such a toll on your body. Or you get an injury, like if a friend recently, and he was saying his dad has recently got a back injury, and it's, it's such a game changer. Like we neglect our health to the point of, oh no, now I need actually medical care to reverse out of this. And it's a tough place to reverse out of. Totally agree. It's, oh my gosh, man, it's a battle. I've just seen her battle it so bad over the past couple of years, but she, she, she's finding her way out of that. And you know, you're nearly the worst person to give her advice on it. It's when you're so, I see this with my dad and I've almost made the decision to say, you know what, my, my dad's 70, he's just gone 70 and you know, I love him to bits and I want nothing but the best of health for him, but he has to help himself. It can't be me because every time if I see him, if it's a lecture, if it's a, oh, you shouldn't be eating this, you should be eating that. It just ruins the quality of my relationship with him. So I made the decision to just say, you know what? he's not going to be around forever. He's made it to 70. I'm going to enjoy my time with him. And if he does come to a point in the next year, in the next five years where he says, you know what, I want to take my health serious. I want to see what I can accomplish fitness wise. I'll I'll be there for him. But right now I'm like, I'm just enjoying the quality of the time I have with him. Agreed. And that's the way to do it, man. That's the way to do it. You have this saying where it's uh, live legendary. What does that mean? And that's what my hat says. Uh, live legendary legacy is forever. Everything we do now is live legendary. So, um, I don't even know how live legendary was birthed. I think I just kind of started thinking it, it became a mantra of mine to where like, you know, like if my eight year old, like wanted me to read him one extra bedtime story and I was tired and I didn't want to, I'm like, man, I need to, I want to live legendary, man. I want to live this life that I'm super proud of, you know, despite of how I feel or how tired I am or how undisciplined, like live legendary. Like what is, what is a saying that is very easy, that isn't long, that's meaningful, that resonates with me. And that one really came about. I don't even remember like how or when. And then I just started saying it on the podcast and a lot of men just started like saying it back to me. And like, we started using the hashtag live legendary and I was like, man, like live legendary. It's such a powerful reminder. So live legendary really comes from a quote, I think, of uh, from, from the book Outwitting the Devil, or at least I think Napoleon Hill uh, said this quote. I heard it from another podcast guest, uh, Dominic Quartorcio, who came on the podcast talking about masculinity and, and living this fulfilling life. And he said a quote on the podcast that I'll never forget. And I'm pretty sure it came from that book which is the definition of hell is meeting the man that you could have become on your deathbed, like coming face to face with this man that you could have become. That's brilliant. And that, what's that? That's brilliant. I love that. It is. And, and there's a, when I say that, there's a, it gives me chills. I can't take credit for that quote. It's not mine, but it's such a powerful quote. I'm like, oh my God, right? So when I think about living legendary, 
what I really, what really comes to mind is being on my deathbed and waiting for, you know, my life to end and pass on to the next life and doing it with no regrets and doing it with a smile and just be like, I lived legendary and living legendary by quite honestly, sometimes it wasn't for the most part, it wasn't anything like crazy extreme. And it wasn't like we did a sailing trip around the world and saw 180 countries, right. Or anything like that. Living legendary was living intentionally in the moment and making memories and connections with my kids and people who are most meaningful. So my, my definition of living legendary is being on that deathbed smiling. Not every day was perfect. There were mistakes, but man, I did it with everything I had. I, I left nothing on the table and I'm proud of the life and the relationships and the legacy that I'm leaving behind with, of memories and connections and kids and impact and all these things. And that's, what's living legendary. And the, the last thing I'll say is this, most men are not, most men are living in, and that's not a, that's not a, a, a stab in the back or a punch in the gut for men. It kind of is, but it's not to every man has the potential to live legendary, but unfortunately most men live in what we call the drift. The drift is that wash, rinse, repeat. Every day is the same, you know, and every day just sort of flows into the next. And there, there's not like these intentional things that are happening. There's a, maybe there's a desire that those things are happening, but most likely it's not happening. And I think it, what it really takes to live legendary is to have other men surround you in community who, who, ha, who share within that vision as well. Because, you know, this is like a marathon and there are times where we get tired. There are times we need to stop and get, you know, rejuvenated and get hydrated. And there are those times where men who are trying to live legendary get tired and you need that boost. You need that community behind you to help continue that mission of living legendary. I don't think it's a stab in the back. Like you said, I think it's a wake up call that there's more out there. I love uh, the stoic saying of how we do anything is how we do everything. And when I hear about living legendary, I, living legendary, what it means to me is living legendary feels like that moment when you're on the deathbed and you're happy and you're proud and you have no regrets. But it's like how we get there. There's a, a concept I love, and I actually can't remember what author it was, but he calls it the last mile of excellence. And if you think about any project that we do, and I often think about it with the podcast, like an example, we booked this interview maybe two months ago and in the two months, I could have totally left it to like an hour before the podcast and jumped on your Instagram and said, okay, what's the dad edge about and jotted down a few questions. But I wanted to have that last mile of excellence, as I call it. So I took the time to listen to 40, 50 hours of your content, trying to understand who you are, what makes you tick. And maybe that difference is imperceptible in the interview to the audience. But I'm proud of the products that's come out of that now. And we see this all the time with, you know, you can write a book or you can, you know, you do your masters, you get it finished, but where the mastery is, it's gone back and it's iterating, it's editing, it's polishing. It's that last mile of excellence that for me, if you add up all the last mile of excellence, that goes to finally lying on that deathbed and saying, I'd lived legendary. That's just my take on it anyway. Dude, I, I, I think that's even better. Like I, <laughs> I love, I love that even more. Like if you could like clip that and then send it to me, like, that'd be great because that was beautiful. Uh, how important are mentors for you in this sort of pursuit to live legendary critical 
critical, critical, critical. It's, it's the, it's the difference between success and failure without a doubt. And if you would have asked me like, I don't know, seven, 10 years ago, you know, it wasn't really until 2015 that I really saw the power in mentorship and having somebody who is ahead of me, someone who is more successful than me in any area. Right. So I've got like a a guy who helps me with my nutrition and fitness, way smarter than me, way more fit than me. And he keeps me on point. He keeps me accountable, right? Uh, I have spiritual mentors in my life that help me with my relationship with, with God, right? I need that. I need those men who are ahead of me. Uncle Joe, who I do the the, the podcast Q&As with on Wednesdays, very spiritual. We, we call him the spiritual mentor of the group. Uncle like Joe's that, like Google. He knows everything. He does. And he's he's really, really good. And and that's my that's my spiritual mentor, right? When it comes to parenting mentorship, we have a great guy who just wrote a book named Drew Drew Tupper, Parenting for a Peaceful Home. That guy is like Yoda when it comes to parenting. He's always <laughs> calm, like he knows the answers. And I'm and when I'm when I'm in a rut, I go to Drew. I, I don't try to figure it out on my own because that's just more frustrating. And it's 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 gonna suck my time trying to figure it out on my own. So mentors, if you really want to be successful in life. You've got to have mentors. You've got to have people who are ahead of you in life, who are who are doing better than you. Like most, and people can relate to I think business the most. And what I mean by that is Andy Frisella. I'm a big fan of his. I'm a friend of his. And Andy always says like, if you want to be a millionaire, I'm sorry. If you want to if you want to make six figures, hang out with millionaires. If you want to be a billionaire, hang out with billionaires. Like, and you're a millionaire, right? So always having those people that are ahead of you, having a seat at the table of people who are more successful than you. If you're the smartest guy in the room, dude, get get out of that room and get into a room where you are now the student again because that's where growth really happens. Do you look at yourself like somebody who inspires people? Like what's your, your self-image of yourself versus who you actually are? Is there a disparity between the two? So it depends on, it depends on what's going on in my life. Um, so I'll give you an example. When it comes to Dad Edge, I, I know a thing or two because I've seen a, seen a thing or two. I've learned a thing or two, right? Through the podcast, through almost a thousand episodes, talking to export, experts, having my own mentors in my life. And I know a lot of different strategies to elevate relationship with my wife, my kids, uh, my own mentality, confidence, mindset, fitness, uh, money management, how to own and operate a successful business. All these things I, I do know a thing or two. Will I ever say I know everything? Nope, not at all. I'm still a student. And here's the other thing too. Do I look at myself who inspires people? Yes, but it's only because, and I'll share with you, I I never, maybe, maybe I'm downplaying myself, but I never... Ex- I never view myself as the expert. I view myself who, who has learned from experts and I view myself who continues to learn from experts and I'm an unfinished man. Like I, I, I don't even feel like I've even come close to my potential. I'm always striving to, to unlock that next bit of potential. And here's the thing, man, I have dark times. I'm not immune to that. I make social posts all the time, like in our groups and stuff like that, about how bad I just screwed up. I did a live video just last week because I blew up at my 14-year-old. Like we had it out. Like I caught him in a lie. I caught him doing this. And it just pissed me off. 
And it sent me into a spiral because he and I were arguing because I was trying to be like, what you did was wrong. And he was trying to defend it as any 14 year old would. And we were butting heads. And I was yelling at this kid, like, not like in his face, but man, I had bad moments with him. And then I walk away from bad moments like that. I'm like, what in God's name did I just do? Like, what is wrong? And then I sit there and be like, I don't even deserve to do this work. Like, I think I'm just going to announce today. Hey guys, dad edge is done. You're like those stupid thoughts, right? Those self-sabotaging thoughts. And do I view myself as inspiring people? Yes. Like when we're doing stuff like this, but here's the other thing I've noticed too, is that, um, when I am my most authentic self, in other words, when I share the bad moments and the moments that were, were harsh and dark and my own anxieties, my own demons, what I've noticed is, is that seems to be more inspiring to the men who do life with us in our community than just being like, hey, I could teach you how to connect with your wife by asking you know, her generative it's real. questions. Yeah, it's real. Uh, Larry, just, just to finish yeah. up on this one, because this is squarely within your circle of competence to finish up on this. I know there's a bunch of listeners who are expecting fathers at the moment, and they're already struggling to balance training with work, with having a social life. And now they're about to be thrust into parenthood. I'm sure they're scared. They're feeling like not ready. They're feeling like something's going to take a backseat. Is there any tips or advice you would have for them? For people who are new fathers, just about to become new fathers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so when men become, so first of all, let's acknowledge one thing: if you're about ready to become a new father, you're freaking terrified, and everyone around you is like, "Oh, it's so happy for you! This is amazing, right?" And you are excited. I'm not going to take that away. You are excited. I'm like, man, this is going to be really, really cool. But and, and what we're not saying out loud is like, I am scared shitless right now. I don't know which end is up. I don't know what to expect. I don't know what this is going to do to my marriage. I don't know what this is going to do to my patients. I don't know if I'm going to have time for anything else. What's it going to be like to be totally sleep deprived? All these really things that, that are on the minds and hearts of men. And what I can tell you is if you're having those thoughts and if you feel, feel fearful, that's really okay. And in fact, it's, it shows that you care about being a good father. It really shows that you care about it. And what a lot of men will do is they'll, they'll, they'll analyze those thoughts of fear and they'll, then they'll just sabotage themselves being like, wow, I must really be a, I must not be up to this. I must not be man enough. Like I must really suck at this. Like I don't have a chance in hell to be successful at this. If this is my mentality. No, no, that's not true. Here's what I'll tell you. What happens with men when they're about ready to have kids. And especially within like the first several years is they completely and totally pull away from relationships outside of family and work. They live their lives in two worlds and that's work and family, family and work. And if I operate outside of that, I'm selfish, I'm terrible, I'm this, I'm that, I'm, it's, I feel guilty. Please stay or, or dig. Those are the times to dig into mentorship, to dig into community, to dig into friendships that serve you because you need to be refilled. And without that, you're basically driving your car for 25,000 miles without an oil change. Yeah, or you're trying to get, get your car to drive 1,000 miles without putting gas in it. We wouldn't think to do those things, but it's for crazy reason, we're about ready to be a new father in those first few years. That's exactly what we do. So don't do that. Larry, that's, I think that's brilliant advice to wrap up the podcast. Larry, I 
you're one of those guests who I just find fascinating. If anyone isn't currently listening to the Dad Edge podcast, I'm going to throw links to Larry's podcast, his website, and all his cool courses in the show notes. Larry, thank you for joining me on the Roadman Cycling Podcast. Thanks for having me, man. This was really, really fun. It was a pleasure.